Welcome to the Technory Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Joining us in today's show, well, it's a yummy one, Zenblend. Tom Zhang, Stephanie, his co-founder, actually joined us as well. Nothing beats an impromptu conversation with the person in charge of marketing, so you can kind of get like the CEO's mission plus what they're actually doing to get it. Um, I'm a huge fan of blending. If you've listened to the show, you've heard me gripe about it. I love it. I particularly love it with vodka or rum in it. I just don't like to clean it up, as is the case with all of you. The number of people, I don't know if this is appropriate. If it's not appropriate, you can DM me on Twitter after I say this. The number of people who are closet blend people isn't numerous. I meet people all the time. Like, just walk down the Chicago River in the summer, and you're going to tell me that these restaurants along the Chicago River are any good? They're, they're trash. They're shit. But they got rosé frosé. They've got blends. That shit sells. So here's the thing. Zen Blend is a company that literally enables us to, in our home, more particularly right now, it's in the gym. They're really B2B focused. But in the gym, eventually in your home at the building you live in, eventually in the office, just an automated blender. You could pick from five or six flavors. They deliver it just like a Coke machine. Here's your stuff. And then boom, blend, no cleanup. I think it's going to be brilliant. I think the, the, the convergence of automated food, of healthier food, the love for blending, and the fact that we've kind of, and you'll get this in a couple podcasts, the LulaFit podcast, which comes out right before this one, the lifestyle wellness thing. Shout out to Pete, Shy Wellness Challenge, going strong. Hit my first goal today before I even came on the show. Going really well in the wellness world, younger people are mixing work and wellness and life and fun and party all kind of in one. And I, I think you're going to see these things popping up all over the place. And I don't know whether it be Zen Blend or not. I know Tom wants it to be. Um, they're kicking ass. They're in the new, the new Vention Challenge. And I think that uh, hopefully they make that. If you listen to this show, New Vention Challenge, you got my support. I think it's a cool company. Um, I think that they've got a really, really great opportunity to grow. The only question is going to be for them is like question A is can I, can I market to make sure that the people who are in buildings are aware that this is available and that it's cost effective and that it's not like – because like the worry with blending in a gym for me has always been I order it and then I got to sit and wait because someone's going to blend. And it's like when you go to Mariano's and you want to get a blend, you're like done with the produce section before you even get the fucking blend, right? So like I don't get it because I'm already got to walk back to get it. Now, if it's automated and you just walk up and it's like, and all these blends are just ripping through, then I'm in. So you got to market to get people to want to come out and realize it's not as ha- it's not as hassle intensive as the previous blending world we knew. That's problem A. Problem B is supply chain. If this company can figure out how to make sure that they can deliver, like Coca Cola delivers to their vending machines and to their uh, to their sort of uh, what do you call them, magic mixer things, um, then there'll be great success. And that, it's a cool business when you only have to worry about like two factors. And that's the case for them. So, anyway, great conversation. Before we go into that conversation, of course, we got to check with the startup inbox. It is a very, very pertinent question, given the fact that the stock market fucking crashed yesterday. Thank you, Donald Trump. You never mind. This is going to get political in a hurry. Um, and we've had a, a ton of IPOs, and I'm going to get pissed again because I dumped. I bought 50 shares of Uber. Granted, I wasn't an idiot. I didn't buy it on opening. I let it, you know, toil around for a second. Uh, and I went ahead and, and made sure that Uber uh, dropped down to below 40 before I went and bought. But there's a ton of IPOs, so this is a very timely question. The Startup Inbox is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing, true automation, by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free. 
just to let you know, if you listen to the show, if you get the newsletter, you know Active Campaign. We actually use it. It's at the bottom of the, ne- of the newsletter. We use it. I love it. All right. Here's a question from Teddy Hurst. Does IPO matter like it used to? <clears throat> In the wake of Uber's disappointing, and yes, Scott is disappointed IPO, are lower than expected IPO debuts ominous for unicorn company chances of success or irrelevant? Um, yeah, that's actually a really good question. I think it's kind of like a convergence of like uh, sort of, I don't know, coincidence maybe. So we went with like a, a good couple of years where we did not have a lot of companies that IPO'd. But I think that that's because we had a lot of years where social media, social network, and like network-driven companies were all the rage. And then a bunch of them sort of settled and shit out, and a bunch were acquired. And there's like been a lot of activity with giants like Uber and Airbnb and Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter um, and obviously Pinterest just went and all these others that acquired a lot of the companies that previously would have been an IPO company. But because there were so many companies that were in the same general vertical, they were just bought ahead of time. And there were so many companies that were their, their revenue model was built on, you know, on this, the use case that's provided from, or the value created from another company example uh, being like Oculus and Facebook. Now, whether or not Oculus would have made it or not, it's a different question, but Oculus and Facebook is Facebook acquires Oculus because it brings them more value. Oculus very well could have become a company that would be like GoPro and would go public and obviously disappoint everyone, but uh, it would be a very similar. We've had a lot of those. In the wearable space, we saw these companies like Fitbit and Pebble and things that try to make it and then they shit out. That kind of happens. We just had a couple of years where I think companies ate all the companies that would have IPO'd. Then, now, those companies that were busy acquiring, raising capital from SoftBank and then acquiring, now are going public, which is why you're seeing, uh, unrelated to SoftBank and acquisition, Zoom, and you're seeing you know, Pinterest and Uber and Lyft, and you'll see more uh, that are going to be coming. Slack, I'm really looking forward to. I, I don't I don't think that that is anything to do with anything else. That's what I think is the reason for that, I guess is what I'm saying to, to you, Ted, and everyone listening. The other part about the disappointing, this is the reality. Most of the companies of the past were built on what they call strong fundamentals. Reagan would talk about it. Strong fundamentals. And what it was is basically like revenue first. And I do not disagree. Find the path of revenue first. I agree with that. However, we're in a different world. It's a different business world. We don't have this like set up call center shit anymore. We do, but it's like later. What we do now is social media. We go to social media, we find an audience, we build a brand, we build something people trust and like and they want to work with. And from there, we literally go ahead and stack products and we add new products and acquire new verticals and we just keep building and spinning and spinning the flywheel. That's what we do. That's how we that's how Amazon and things are being built. And then they get to a, to a certain point where they have to raise a bunch of money. And, you know, maybe they're at their E or they've, they've you know, gone as far as they want to go as far as like without taking a debt run. So they decide they're going to go public. And that's how they raise an Uber or in, in Tesla's case, which is a bad example. They're also getting crushed is they need to raise two something billion dollars. So what do they do? They just offer up shares. That's what you do at that level. The difference is why these companies are being disappointing with the exception of Zoom, which is kind of makes my case. Zoom is a profitable company. They make money. They're showing great, strong financials. Uber is down a bill. WeWork is fucking nuts. They're down like five bills. The reason you're having disappointing IPOs is because the world and Wall Street is is used to at least a path to profitability. And the companies that are coming from Silicon Valley have been based on 
give me as much money as I possibly can to grow as much market share as I possibly can, as fast as I possibly can, and then stack some product, make some acquiring uh, decisions, and build a company that makes money on top of that. I fall right in the middle. I think that the companies that do that are going to be successful and can be successful, and I also think that it's fucking dangerous. You need to know how, you at least need to know how you're going to make the money, if nothing else. So, Teddy, to answer your question, I think Uber's disappointing IPO is nothing more than they're not profitable. That, that's it. There's just no obvious path to revenue as far as uh, the investors are concerned. A path to revenue from the company and the CEO standpoint, that's completely different. Do I think that there's not going to be more, as many IPOs? No. I think there's going to there is every company that hits a point where they've got to cr- reach a critical mass where they need to raise billions of dollars instead of valuation that, that w- is warranted based on the amount of money raised, they're going to IPO just like ever. That's the system that we live in. Um, so that's my thing. All right. Let's smooth out. Let's have ourselves a blend. Kick back and listen to the CEO and founder of Zen Blend, Tom Zhang, and co-founder and head of marketing, Stephanie. Last time I talked to you guys, we were at the, I believe we're at the M Hub, right? We're at mm-hmm. M Hub workshop we did. Um, I would love to know what you guys have been up to, obviously, since we last talked. But I wanted to fill you in, like, kind of a funny, interesting story. So, like, we, my wife and I are the we in this case. <clears throat> we're just talking about, like, summer trying to, you know, she has a baby due and, like, she. We have a baby due. Sorry. I just got, I'm in the shit house already. We just got, <laughs> we just, we have a baby due on the 5th. And we're looking at, like, how do we kind of make sure that we set ourselves up for a little bit healthier summer and get in, in better shape? And, you know, she wants to obviously get herself in shape after, you know, having a baby. And we're looking at, like, we went to Andy's Custard, which is not part of the plan, but it was delicious. And I was like, we need to fulfill, like, the switch from that to to blending into, like, just more, like, healthy stuff. And we were walking around uh, our town, and there was, like, um, there's there's, like, a small little... I don't know how to call it's like a nook in a building that offers kind of like blends and things, but it was like super sketchy. And I was like, wouldn't it be amazing if other places could offer that and it not be so sketchy and not be like this, like solopreneur business type of thing. Like it's something like I've actually felt comfortable going in and ordering something from. And then it was like, Oh my God. And then it brings in the conversation of like at work, if we could eat healthier and all this other stuff. So I, I was thinking of you guys when we had this conversation and how, I love to have frozen blend and I think it's the best, but I still to this day will not make it in my house because I have to clean it up. And I know that my wife is not going to clean it up. So that is uh, a problem that you guys solve. So I wanted to kind of to, to learn, you know, what's gone on since we last talked, have you tell everyone, share the story of exactly uh, what Zen blend is and the origin of it. So Tom, why don't we just start with you and have, we just so you're listening, we have Tom and Stephanie co-founders of, uh, Zenblend, Tom, tell me a little bit about what Zenblend actually does, and then let's let's really unravel like why we're here. Sure. So at the core aspect of it, Zenblend allows any location to serve freshly blended smoothies via an automated smoothie kiosk without being sketch. Without being sketch, ideally, ideally, it can be. Yeah, can. we're not we're not exclusive. We don't have to. You, if you want to if you want to have it in a shithole, you can. But. It does definitely come across better when it's clean. Like, that was my thing. It's like, the reason I, I mean, obviously part of the reason I don't blend is because I, I don't want to clean it up. But I would also like to make sure, and my wife has a nut allergy, so I'd like to make sure that when we do do this, that it doesn't look like a hole. You know? like exactly. There's like actually like a process behind it. And you guys, I think, do an interesting deal with that. So talk a little bit more about it, like how exactly it works and what the difference is between how I would do it at home. 
Sure. So what we want to do is really recreate that blending at home experience, but without a lot of the work associated with it, right? So we've done a lot of market research. And to your point, no one likes clean the blender. Yeah. Like that's just not a fun thing to do. And a lot of times when people want to make a smoothie, they look in their freezer, they might not have all the ingredients. So having to run to the grocery store, that's a pain. And something else we've heard is that when people make smoothies, they try it for the first time and usually doesn't turn out that good. Yeah. And they never try it again, like ever. They're just like, I'm not going to making smoothies. I'm not going to do this again. So what we want to do is solve that pain point by automating this process and making it accessible like nearly anywhere. Yep. So what the Zenblend kiosk does is it dispenses and blends ingredients right in front of you, fresh to order. So you have this like cup, you get your freshly frozen ingredients in there, and then it's blended, you grab it, and you're good to go. Boom. I think the thing that's interesting is the only thing that I would, the only way you would get me to do the blending, and not only way, but like one of the only ways, you'd get me to do the blending at home mm-hmm. is if there's like a booze element. <laughs> like yeah. Then it's like, oh, well, shit, you know, I, yeah. what do I care? I'm hammered. Smoothies after dark. Smoothies <laughs> after dark. That's the name of our new franchise that you and I are going to start. Perfect. <laughs> Smoothies after dark. We're going to play, like, this is inappropriate, but we're going to play like random stuff from like, from like Cinemax. If anyone knows the joke there, you, you get it. If you don't get it, then it's probably a good thing. But it'll be Smoothies After Dark. It's kind of like uh, Two Dots and a Dash. <laughs> Have you ever gone to Two Dots and a Dash? Three Dots, dots and a dash. dash. Is it Three Dots? Yes. <laughs> I dot only went, yeah, see? <laughs> two Dots. It's only Two Dots and a Dash. Listen, if that gives you any insight into like what condition I'm in when I get there, <laughs> I'm, I'm one dot short of, my, of, my, uh, of everything. Um, no, this is we have derailed. No, th- this is interesting to me because I, I feel like there are so many people who are hidden blenders. They just don't talk about it. They don't talk about it at parties. And I think the only, this is there's like, there are businesses that there are like only a few things that have to get right. The assumption is the tech is going to be right. Supply chain management, we haven't really talked to, we'll come back to that. The marketing, I think, is really the part that makes this unique is that like, how do you make how do you get the people who are blender people who like don't blend at home, but wood and there's a lot of them to like raise their hand and step out and go somewhere and, and try it out. How do you like, from your standpoint, something like, how do you, how do you, how do you get people? Cause it's not about like branding Zen blend necessarily. It's really like first and foremost, like finding all my blendy people. How do you do that? Yeah. So as Tom said, the first six months of our company, we did a lot of market research and validation ensuring that before we put all this time and effort, we were making something people would actually want. And we realized that a lot of our end consumers that we were targeting were at boutique gyms. And a lot of those people investing already in their health, willing to spend a high price to, you know, work out in the mornings, but then we're typically rushing to work and, you know, straight from the gym, straight to work. And so we realized that a lot of those people, they, and even surveying them, they make smoothies on their own. They love making smoothies. They love their protein shakes but they don't have time to do it in between their workout and heading home. And so that's where we really started talking to boutique gyms. And especially the past month um, through the New Venture Challenge, which I'm sure we'll dive into in a moment, yep. we've really been accelerating our business and talking to gym owners and have obtained letters of intent representing 15 different locations. And this is really a pain point for the gyms, we've realized. So kind of pivoting to more of a B2B strategy in having this be a solution for a smoothie bar because a lot of boutique gyms don't have the space, the capital, and the manpower to be able to run a smoothie bar. And so really this is, it started with the B2C, but we've pivoted and are now more of a B2B strategy 
targeting boutique gyms initially. I think it's a great idea because we actually just talked about this in the last show with the Lulafit. Was like the spaces like we're getting to a point now where every business <clears throat> needs to do more with what it has. They need to make more money with the space they have. Yeah. And they really can't, like, everyone can say, like, oh, you could just invest in sales and in this, like, no. I need to be able to make the money direct. I can't make the money by hiring somebody to try to sell, for, you know, blends. Like, right. that's, <laughs> that's not a good use of our time. We need people, we need to find out if there are people in this building who like it. The answer is likely yes. Got to confirm that with some ads and whatever else. Um. We've got to figure out a way to have this installed and make enough money on it to cover the amenity. And then if there was a way to actually drive more revenue through it, that's like, you know, gravy. So how do you guys help companies actually? Because I think it's a brilliant model. I think you absolutely like, I know my own gym uh, that I don't see very often at home is <laughs> they have, they have a person who works there and she sort of helps with like, you know, she's there like she, I really think she works at the gym and then just steps in during lunch to like help do this. It's terrible. And like, no offense to her, mm. she just literally is like, not that person. Right. And it's it's like, should you be serving grilled cheese sandwiches at a gym? I feel like no, especially ones that are made like just squirting like grease on a foil <laughs> paper, and it's like prison sandwiches, which is what they have. It should really be like a smoothie bar with protein things and, and like that sort of deal. So like. I don't think there should be any argument with like whether or not this works in gyms. I don't think there's any argument to be perfectly honest that this shouldn't work in in like towers, like in people's mm-hmm. like homes. Um, yeah, it could be anywhere. It really could be. And then like the business side of it, like it get like maybe you don't want to add the expense of like, in your office, but like we have coffee, mm-hmm. brew. I mean, every, we have all this stuff. So like I I think it's a, a, a no brainer to to, audit, to to add it to the mix. My question is. How do you view companies, whether it's a building or a company or a gym, making this either an amenity for their people that like they use and it's there's no like problem or a profit generator? So we've spoken with a good amount of people and there there's usually a range, right? So we've had people, especially gyms, who said, Hey, like we would love to have you guys as a amenity to our members and also people who kind of look at it as a revenue per square fee perspective. Yeah. Like how does this add to my bottom line, um, and and that's kind of I think a conversation that has to be individualized depending on the goal of the business itself. Uh, but at the core aspect of it, what these businesses don't want to do, and, and Scott, you mentioned is that you know the sketchy guy making the grilled cheese sandwiches. Like these businesses aren't in uh, aren't in it to make smoothies, so they want to focus on what they're good at, whether it's providing a great workout, providing you know great building amenities, but you know, not necessarily to to clean blenders. Yeah. So, like, let's let's look at this for a second. Like the the growth. Uh, I guess I want to say growth schedule, but like the plan for you guys, because I I see there's a potential here for you to go it alone and just go to building to building and business to business. But I also see you guys tapping into companies and groups like Crafty here locally, or even a Lulafit who was just here, and be like, we'd like to provide as part of your bigger service. Like, in other words, they're going to a building with like a very big budget. They're saying mm-hmm. we're going to bring in all this stuff. We'd like to just be a part of it. Is it? Have you looked into the shit? Like, do you do you feel like there's? I mean, you can do both. It's not binary, but like, do you have you figured out whether or not you you think you you should be going in like what, like individually as like I just want to sell you a, a system, or do you see there maybe a bigger chance for you to get in with a group that's already 
in with companies? Like, wh what's the best way in? So that that's a really good thought. And from our perspective, the solution could really be anywhere, yeah. right? Like, it could be in any location. And for us, we have um, the thought is to be very strategic about where we start with and where we grow. So, as Stephanie alluded to, you know, at the beginning, uh, we're targeting boutique gyms, which, in our opinion, has the best uh, kind of end customers for yep. for our product as well as the biggest need that they need to solve. Yep. So after building our like core brand evangelist in this market, you're totally right that we could definitely partner with some of these bigger players and expand into into wherever. Stephanie, not sure if you want to add a little more, more to that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that we know that there's demand out there for this. We validated that, and we know that this machine can be built. It's been done before in international markets. The biggest thing is, as Tom was saying, starting very disciplined in the boutique fitness market, then expanding outside of that, because there's definitely more revenue potential in airports, in big office buildings. But that's going to require a more intact logistics network that we need to first figure out and make sure that we have excelled at with the boutique gyms before we focus on those bigger hitters. Yep. I was sitting yesterday with Chuck Sabota, who is the CEO of, formerly the CEO of Cree, which is like an LED company. They do all kinds of business with like Philips. They're like a couple billion dollar business company. And he was talking about how the world is filled with inventors, but not innovators. And that one of the biggest problems is you can create a product. You can create something like Zen Blend, but then you've got to be able to build a business around it and use it to help other people's businesses do more business. Right. And so you guys seemingly have done a very nice job of understanding that concept prior to launch is to say job one here is to invent something. Job two is to figure out a business model around supporting job one. Job three is to actually find our target market and hit the shit out of it. And then job four is to go back and with success and go, here's how we could get wider adaption. And then job five, six, seven, eight until the end of time is like reiterate, create new product lines, whatever it is, but like just continue to grow the footprint. So like I ended up drawing this sort of like very weird looking Venn diagram <laughs> where I see you have created this really cool product that has adaptability, but then you just targeting Stephanie, just gyms. We're just going to hit every gym that, that especially gyms that are sort of like local suburban gyms that really don't have access to a lot of stuff. And then you've got perhaps going out to, to building managers, whether that's commercial or personal, could be both. And you're, you're just going straight to the source and saying, you know, what's your interest in this? And then job three is to plug into the lifestyle management groups that are inside of these buildings and offer it. And I, I think if you do well, if you, if you, when I say you do well, if, they, if the customers like what you're providing them with and you've got your supply chain and all this other stuff down, which is a, a huge part of this, obviously – you really could have like a, a like a very very strong business that makes plenty of money without any consideration of actual growth like the, the market alone for the gym thing i think is just ginormous absolutely and i think i think part of that strategy is you know you alluded to with the office buildings there's definitely going to be a different sales cycle to selling to them so i think for us it's being aggressive yet patient and we figured out the sales cycle for gyms at least you know, as much as we can up to this point without, <laughs> yeah. without a machine yet. Um, but then once we pivot and start also focusing on the offices and everything else, taking the time to make sure we really fully understand that sales cycle to best sell the product and implement it to make sure that we have that success that you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, and Sky, I really like what you mentioned about really going out there and it's not just inventing a product, right? Yeah. It's building a business. And a lot of, 
I think that's a struggle that a lot of entrepreneurs have because they can build really cool stuff, right? whether yeah. it's like an app or a machine. I but, think people just come to it though. Right. But the thing is that that's like playing it by chance, right? Yeah. What you want to do is really de-risk it by going out and seeing what the problem was. And that's something that we I feel that, you know, we did really well in because like we're not engineers. We yeah. we didn't have the choice of building a machine first. So we had to go out there and be like, okay. Would people buy this? Right. Would people buy this? And really go out and validate that need because if if it the need's not there, there's no need for us to spend our time and resources doing it. Yeah. Um, there's no need to automate things that don't need to be automated. I, I totally agree with you. And I said this, I will wrap with this. I said the same thing when I heard you guys tell me the business when we were at M Hub. I feel like this is one of the, it's a hidden gem. And I think the cool part is you can do research without really even doing that much research. Just looking at like the Matt Matroses of the world. You can argue like pick your substance. And I say substance like addiction, uh, caffeine, coffee, whatever it is. I think blending is actually part of that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in enough. Like it is, it's like pop culture enough. People talk about it all the time. There are so many movies that they make some sort of weird innuendo about like, you stole my blender or like whatever. And it's not just enemy of the state. There are others. Um, <laughs> I don't have the list, but I promise. Trust me on this. Um, that you can look and see like, are there, is there a health crisis? Yes, obviously. Is there the automation of food thing? Yes, clearly. Is there an interest in solving what is problems people have reasons people don't, eat products yes there is clearly farmer's fridge you are checking all the boxes of like something there the only thing that's missing is whatever the product is in this case blending is it something that has enough cachet that people already want it they just don't get it and blending is like the epitome of that right it's like a latent need right like people like unless you really put it out for the out there for people they they don't really think about it I think, but they love it. It's right, like pistachios. Exactly. I don't go and buy pistachios because I don't want to have to like click and pick and click. <laughs> but if they're in front of me, I eat the shit out of it. The right. bowl's gone, yeah. and not just because I'm a little overweight. Like <laughs> it's real, and I like, it, and it's also kind of a viral thing. People love pistachios. People love blending. I'm right. not the only one. I feel I like I love blending more than other people, though. Like, well, yeah, I, would, I would hope so. <laughs> if you two don't both like blending more than right. everyone, then yeah. I don't know what the hell to tell you because this is trouble. What is your, we're going to end on this. What is your favorite blend? You can put anything in this thing. What's your favorite blend? Mine's honestly, it is a Zen blend blend and it's our peanut butter protein. I just love oh, pro- peanut butter in my smoothie. It's so good. It tastes like a butterfinger. That's what we've heard from <laughs> end consumers and I agree with them. So good. My wife has a nut allergy, which precludes me from doing this, but I will tell you when I went to Andy's frozen custard, I got peanut butter in my, in my custard. I told her in the end cause I didn't want to get sick, but I took it. I was like, I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. I have well, to. next time we meet, we'll bring you a peanut butter protein And then smoothie. I'll go to my when, dentist and he'll, <laughs> he'll clean my face. So you can kiss your wife when yes, you get home. That's the key. The yeah. butts, that's what this is about. I'm like, yeah. is there any chance that I'm going to get a kiss when I get home? If the answer is no, I'm eating peanut butter. <laughs> that's the deal. Got your like diagram all drawn out. Oh, <laughs> uh, trust me. Uh, my life is just filled with like flow charts. It's fine. Favorite one, Tom. So, wow, Steph, you, you kind of took my, because uh, I'm also a huge peanut butter fan, but something that I've been lo- loving more and more is our mint berry mix, oh, yeah, which is one. like your classic mixed berry, but we add a little bit of mint in there. So, okay. a little, little minty twist. Where, like, where can people go to, can, is this out anywhere yet? Is there anywhere people can go to try this out? So, the biggest thing is that we do, we do not have a machine, but we do lots of smoothie tastings. Yep. So, 
we need to work on our social media game a little bit, <laughs> but if you do follow our Instagram, we will be doing a better job of letting people know where we'll be doing our next smoothie tastings, typically at gyms, co-working spaces, different events, networking events. Just last um, weekend, we had a really cool event. Yeah, and actually on Saturday, we'll be at the Under Armour Brand House for their workout nice. Saturday morning. So there are definitely lots of places you can see us, or if you want us to come serve our smoothies, definitely feel free to reach out. We love doing tastings and meeting people and getting in front of the end consumers. May I recommend doing the man on the street? You don't need a space. You don't need a gym. The absolute best for social media is going to be the man on the street. You just walk up and you just ask him, do you like smoothies? <laughs> and like, just get weird about it. Ask questions about like, what are the things that they like and they don't have? Just make sure that smoothie or blend is like somewhere in it. And then whoosh, you just show up from behind the corner. There's Tom with like an apron on it and a whole <laughs> yeah, bunch of... Yeah. Just pull up in blendies. a white van. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Let's try to get not sketchy. Remember that was the goal. But on social, sketchy sell. <laughs> so you bust that sketch out for this sure. one. I think it's a good. I say it's a good idea because I think it's a good idea. But you guys should try whatever. Either way, uh, where is the handle to follow you guys? So that's at Zenblend underscore smoothies. All right, at Zenblend underscore smoothies. Thank you guys so much for coming in. No, thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. You can learn more about upcoming events, investment opportunities. Check out the blog. Subscribe to the newsletter at technori.com. Download the podcast, this podcast, on Spotify or on Apple or Google or wherever you get yours. Follow us on social at Technori or you can follow me at Katoon. Boom. That's a wrap.